Another edition of the KTH 9:10 a.m. interview of the week here on the Guadalupe Radio Network in North Texas. We are glad that you are listening. Thank you so much for uh, hopefully making this part of your Saturday afternoon. I love doing these interviews. I get to meet the the greatest people and hear the most interesting stories. And also inform you about what is going on right here in North Texas and the local Catholic world. I'm thankful to Diane Xavier, who's running the board today. Cecil is still out on vacation. Pray for her. She's at the Shrine of uh, Our Lady of Guadalupe down in Mexico City. And Diane is here, so uh, we're glad that she's here. My guest is a returning guest. In fact, she was here about a week ago talking about another topic. And I have gotten to know Dana Nygaard well over the years. Uh, she's a wonderful uh, Christian uh, wife and mother and also a licensed professional counselor. Her practice is called Christian Comfort Counseling. And a while back, we did an interview about a book that was kind of in the works uh, called 365 Dates to Renew Your Christian Marriage, Catholic Edition, uh, subtitled Increasing Your Emotional Intimacy One Question at a Time. And now she is here to talk about the fact that it's out. And uh, there's, um, we'll find out how you can get it and all the, the story behind this and how it can help you uh, get into more intimate and interesting and fun conversations with your spouse. So Dana, welcome. Good to see you. Thanks, Dave. All right, so let's talk about this. Um, there's actually two versions of it, right? Yes. Uh, well, why two versions? Well, um, I I wanted a book that had curated questions specifically for Catholic yeah. couples because when the way this book came about is t- ties into why there are two versions. So when David and I would take road trips, we had purchased just through like a generic bookstore a couple of books on questions for couples, and we had fun. They were engaging, but then there would be questions and a lot of questions that were very inappropriate and actually quite scandalous. Mm-hmm. And I would read them out loud to David, and he would like almost you know <laughs> you know wreck, of, and they yeah. were just awful and terrible and immoral. And so I thought, we need a safe book for Catholic couples. So that's how the book was created. And then I realized that with, you know, we have very specialized language that we use in the Catholic Church. And so I also have a lot of friends that are non-Catholic Christians. So there's also a Christian or non-Catholic Christian book version of this um, that has questions that will relate more to our Protestant brothers and sisters. Right, right. Okay. So, yeah, so you can speak to the non-Catholic Christian audience without taking off your Catholic hat, so to speak. I mean, you're still Catholic, but you're catering it to them and their own, uh, uh, I guess, way of practicing uh, the faith. And I must also add uh, that your husband, David, is here in studio with us. I promised him I would not drag him into the conversation, (laughs) but I just uh, will say, because I think this is pertinent to the fact that you've written this book, that I just see a great intimacy and love between the two of you and the way you speak about Mm -hmm. each other and the time you spend and the the conversation we had before we started. So I, I can tell you're you're putting all this into practice and i think that's important that uh, you are in a really good healthy and loving marriage relationship yourself uh, because it kind of qualifies you to write a book like this doesn't it? exactly if not i think there'd be some hypocrisy there right and we wouldn't want that and i do want to say on the christian um version of the book is there's nothing in there that would lead anyone astray from the teachings of the church 
So I don't have questions in there like, um, when were you saved? Yeah. Because we don't believe in that theology. 365 dates to renew your Christian marriage, increasing your emotional intimacy one question at a time. And by the way, my wife and I have used this book. In fact, I've had it at my, my, by my bedside table for, um, you know, months now since you first gave me this, uh, preview version of it. So bring us back to the origin of it. How long is it taking you to write this? And uh, how did that seed get planted in your mind in the first place that, hey, I think we need this? You kind of hinted at it already that you, other books weren't quite cutting it for Catholics, but uh, why else did you think this was important? Well, because couples, um, it's important for couples to engage. We're so busy nowadays. And couples don't spend dedicated time. It's like in passing. Did you take out the garbage? You know, when are we going to take Susie to the orthodontist? That sort of thing. And so I wanted a book that would encourage couples to have deep connection through one-on-one conversations. Mm-hmm. I know that, it, like you say, it's easy to kind of, you know, get. You know, did the kids get where they need to get? Uh, how's our checking account doing? Uh, you know, where? what are we doing this weekend? And even going out with other couples and having a good time. My wife and I went out with some friends the other night, but that's not intimacy between the couples. That's just... Social time, right? So you exactly. got to be got to be deliberate and intentional about this. Yes, and it's and I'll, I'll tell a story that I actually talked about at the beginning of you and I before the interview began. But when David and I are on road trips, uh, we w- will pull out the book. So normally David drives, but instead um, I drove on this one particular occasion. So when 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 David drives after we get out of town, I'll ask him, "Do you want to do the questions?" And so we'll grab the book, and I think at this point we're up to like date one hundred because David was not involved in the writing of the book because I didn't want him overhearing all the questions because <laughs> I wanted to actually talk to him about it. So I kept it a little bit on the down low. And so one day, for some reason, David was driving instead of me. I mean, I was driving instead of David. And David said, um, "Do you want to do some of the questions?" And he was looking forward, and I kept looking at him. And when he finally looks at me, like, "Why aren't you speaking?" I was tearful because mm-hmm. it touched my heart so much that my husband wanted to know me more, yeah. was curious about me in a loving curiosity that he was the one who brought up the subject. Because he's always happy when I bring it up, but the fact that he brought it up, so I thought that was really significant. Yeah, Let, let's talk about that because uh, no no two people in a marriage have the same personality, and that's probably mm-hmm. a really good thing. Yes. And, uh, generally <laughs> speaking, to use more stereotypical language, women are more emotional, more sentimental, men are more black and white and you know practical. So how, how does one, I guess, bring their spouse around if this isn't their love language or they're not used to talking like this. I, I think it's, it's, a, it's, it, they're so succinct and so brief and kind of fun, but how do you, how do, how do you get over the, the difference in the sexes? Would you say? Well, I think with that, um, it's because with men, they're as emotional as women. They just don't express it mm-hmm. because research shows that, um, like if you like with my clients, sometimes I'll use a pulse oximeter, and maybe the wife, it's like hers is not going off, and she seems so very emotional. And the man, if you look at him, he's just calm and placid, but his is the one that will start to go off. It's so, it's <laughs> he's so hiding it. <laughs> he's hiding it. Guys are good at that. Yeah. So it's just, it does it in a very gentle manner. And the way I wrote the book, uh, one of the hardest things about the book wasn't the cultivating of the questions. It was, what format do I use? So we use the format of ready, set, go. And that came from, uh, I had the image in my mind of a stoplight that we use in our Cana engagement retreat. We use a stoplight at one point as an example. And so it came to me, okay, 
let's do a ready question where you start off on the date. It's easy, and it invites that person in, and they feel safe. Then when you arrive at your date night spot, let's say you're having a meal to eat, then the question gets a little deeper, but not too deep where you'd be concerned if like your server would overhear you or a table near you would overhear mm-hmm. you. Then the last question, maybe you're sitting on your patio afterwards having a glass of wine. Maybe you're going for a stroll around the neighborhood after your date. And that's the go question. And that's where you get into the deep stuff. Yeah. And so it builds. Interesting. I, I think that's genius. And I, I just r- randomly opened up the, the copy that I have here. And so I just want to kind of give somebody an example of Ready, Set, Go. Awesome. And uh, all right, date 223. And again, this is just kind of random. The ready is, which singer would you like to sing a duet with if you could pick anyone? (laughs) So, (laughs) I I don't know. I've been watching uh, Karen Carpenter videos lately, and I I just love her, of course, God rest her soul. And I was thinking, okay, that's probably what I would say. I think she's a beautiful voice. So, so, I mean, it's light, like you say, okay? I don't know if you want to answer these or not. Uh, I love Lauren Daigle, so I would say Lauren Daigle, but my uh, voice, no. No. <laughs> well, all gift. these singers are going to make us sound bad, right? Uh, the set is, are your opinions stronger than most people? Uh, yeah, definitely for me. So, uh, And then uh, go would be, what has been the biggest disappointment of your life? Mm-hmm. Okay. And uh, hopefully for you, it wasn't uh, you know setting up this interview. Okay? <laughs> no, I, I love being, I love talking with you, Dave. Right. See, so, yeah, so I can see the progression there. Yeah. Very light, mm-hmm. not so light, and then mm-hmm. more. Uh, the third one is the one that might actually bring up some emotion, mm-hmm. perhaps, or some you know a really really deep discussion, mm-hmm. right? So I, I love that. And then you're, you know, it takes what ten minutes a day, right? It doesn't yeah. take forever. No, it doesn't take forever, and. Because there's 365 date nights in there, it's 1,095 questions. Wow. So was it hard coming up with all those? Or how, what was your strategy? That really wasn't. Um, it's surprising. It was more. It was harder to figure out, like, have I said that before? And have to do a search, like, on keywords. <laughs> that was a hard thing. And I have amazing editor, Leslie Cruzado, who helped me with all that. No, the questions were... Um, they were gathered from, uh, I'm a Gottman trained therapist. And so some of them came from like, well, what conversations do I have with couples? So I would base some of these off of that. Uh, then uh, I brought in some attachment theory, things about childhood. Yeah. And so uh, just that those were the conversations. That was where it came from. Mm-hmm. And uh, what about the, the target audience? Do you think this is something that newlyweds or uh, engaged couples or you know, people going out on, you know, on dates or is this just, just for married couples? And do you find that maybe the longer people have been married, the better apt they are to get into this kind of a deep discussion because they, they kind of have some lived experience together? Or who, who's the primary audience? No, great question. So what I had in mind were couples who are either happily married like David and I are, and we just want more. Like if we get to go to marriage retreat, we're excited because we both want to go and learn more about each other. But it's also written for those couples who may be struggling and who are needing to have that reconnection. Mm-hmm. But here's what's interesting. I actually sent the review copy like you have to a girlfriend who was single. I wanted to see what she said, and she said she loved asking herself the questions to get more in touch with herself Mm -hmm. and then she used them to talk with girlfriends so that was really cool and i think for newlyweds it would be perfect because again it gets them off on a very good start in their marriage and then it's also good for marriage ministries if you're wanting to bring marriage enrichment to your parish this would be great i know people that keep asking me dana when's the book coming out which is august 18th by the way uh, because they want to have gift copies 
of the book. Yeah. yeah, yeah, very nice. August 18th, again, the book is called 365 Dates to Renew Your Christian Marriage, Increasing Your Emotional Intimacy, One a Question at a Time. There's a Catholic edition, and then there is a, uh, a what's called a, quote, Christian edition mm-hmm. as well. I always hesitate I because, of course, Catholics are Christians. But now, when you see 365, it implies we're doing this every day for a year. Is that how you envisioned it? Or Because you say date night, and hardly any couples go out on dates every day of the week. Is this, do you envision finishing this in a year or the, why the 365? It, it's, it's what works for them. So I prayed a lot on this. So the Holy Spirit truly would give me these insights and these words of knowledge on how to build the book. So it could be a weekly date night and you're going to get to use this for quite a few years. Mm-hmm. It could be like we like to do it in the car. Because yeah. we, we love doing road trips, we antique together, so for us that's fun. For other couples, they are using it every day. And it's funny, I had one couple that uh, I let have a preview copy of it that's one of my couples in my private practice, and at one point they were like, Dana, we had to put that book down, <laughs> and we had to take a break from it. I'm like, why is that? And they're like, you asked some tough questions. I'm uh, like, yeah, it was written for a reason. It's to unfold things. And it's not yeah. all about the relationship. It's also about who are you outside of the relationship? What was your childhood like? Mm-hmm. Yeah, stuff that uh, you might not otherwise ever come up because mm-hmm. life just kind of gets in the way and gets really busy. Um, interesting. This may be an, a weird question. Any reason to bring the kids into this? Uh, hey, kids, mom and I were talking last night about this question, or is this strictly for the couple and only and reserved to them? No, no, I actually like that idea. Um, there are some questions that I think it would be fun to be like, hey, mom and I were talking about this. What would you say? Mm-hmm. And it could be a great conversation starter. Yeah. Mm-hmm. All right. Uh, I love that. The forward of the book. Father James Yamauchi, uh, previously out in Forney at St. Martin of Tours. Yep. In fact, uh, just a couple of weeks ago, I was out in Florida, and he came over to our house and did a home mass for us. Oh, how cool. So I know Father James really well. Uh, tell us why, why did you, you choose him? How did that come about? So I love Father James. Um, when he was at a parish closer to me, he was actually my private confessor for a mm. while. I had like St. Faustine in my head, and I was trying to do things as she did. And he's just so wonderful. And I know him through also Rachel's Vineyard. I'm a volunteer therapist for them. And so he always comes and does a yearly retreat, and he's just such a good man. I know his yeah. mom. She's amazing. And so I asked Father to review the book, and it was so profound what he wrote. I'm like, um, Father, could we please use this as the— as the the uh, forward and so he was gracious and he agreed and i love that he's a canon lawyer so he really understood the catholicity yeah, of the book yeah and he's uh, studied in rome and yes. uh, yeah wonderful guy cuz i could say so much more about father james yamuchi now this uh it, you know it's interesting we talked about the two different versions i bet only one version has the nihil obstat yes, <laughs> <laughs> yes. Uh, translate that into english and what does that mean yeah. and and how why is that significant yeah. to the catholic edition so in the catholic edition it's important as catholics that we know that material is safe for us to read as Catholics and that there's not going to be something heretical that could lead us astray. So Anil Obstat means that um, a bishop, the ordinary, of uh, he and like a canon lawyer, that they have reviewed the material and that is it is then safe to be printed as in like it is good, let it be shared. Yeah. All right. And so Bishop Edward Burns, yes. the Diocese of Dallas Bishop, uh, gave you that. And that, yes. that, that's a big deal because like you say, the 
Uh, even if something is 95% solid, you don't want the Catholics uh, or in the other version, the Christians, to be like, I don't know, this this one's a little weird, right? And so you just you read it, you you, you take your guard down. You know, this everything right. everything in this is 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 kosher, so so to speak, right? That's right, that's right. And Dave, I want to go back to what you said a few minutes ago when you said like we don't, you know, the Christian version. It was so hard to not name the book 365 Dates for non-Catholic Christian marriages, but it yeah. didn't flow off the tongue. But you're right. Yes, of course, all Catholics yeah. are Christians. It's, 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 a, it's a mouthful, isn't yeah, it? Yeah, yeah. I was like, okay. Uh, we were blessed to get a, an advanced copy, and uh, I I wrote my own testimony of the book as well. Do you, do you have some, you know, it's not out yet. You mentioned August 18th. Have you had some other couples that have, other than you and David, who have practiced oh. it and given you any feedback? Oh, yes, and actually to circle back to what you asked earlier about, like, what if, you know, if there were couples who had been married, you know, longer. So, I had people review this who had been married 25, 30, 40 years, and they actually said there were questions that they thought they had discussed everything in the marriage. No stone left to turn over, Mm -hmm. and they had amazing conversations. So that was exciting. And then um, the the Lydia Piscina is on the back of the book, and she says, in my over 30 years of experience in full-time family ministry, I know a gem when I see one, and this is one for savoring and sharing. And Lydia is the person uh, that hired David and I for the Diocese of Brownsville to do our very first Cana retreat. So it was significant for me to ask Lydia to participate. And I love that quote so much that it's actually on the back of the book cover. Mm-hmm. Here's a recommendation. You get this book for your anniversary or Christmas yeah. along with uh-huh. a bottle of wine and some chocolates, <laughs> yes, right? Okay, yes. maybe, maybe some strawberries. Yes. And it's like... Beautiful. Guys, come on, man. You're yes, in, right? You're in. You're in. Uh, yeah, my, my wife and I uh, rented a little, one of those little mini, mini cabins out south of town uh, for our anniversary last Fun. year. And I think I, I mentioned this uh-huh. to you back in December, uh, and we brought this with us. I and love and it. we went through, through some of them in this little, little to mini, mini little cabin. Uh-huh. And so it, it, was, it was quite, quite Makes fun. Makes me happy. <laughs> All right. So August 18th is the date, and the book is called 365 Dates to Renew Your Christian Marriage, Increasing Your Emotional Intimacy one question at a time. It's the Catholic edition, and of course we have many uh, non-Catholics that are listening, and if you would prefer the, uh, what's called the, you know, the Christian version that uh, is not specifically and overtly Catholic, you can uh, get that as well. So, wow, what a labor of love. It's I've published one book and I know it's such, such a challenge. It must such be such work. a relief to have this uh, finished. Oh, I could barely sleep last night because the book, the proof copies arrived and I could barely sleep. I had to like, sleep. I had to, like take our dog for a walk to like burn off some energy and then I'm like I'm going to Sonic honey and I got like a cherry lime made to celebrate I was just like oh my gosh just so excited because it's it was 14 months to write it weeks of editing then waiting for the church approval then publishing it finding the right graphic artist it's been a labor of love mm-hmm. and um I'm, you want to mention something about your your practice as uh, Christian Comfort Counseling as well. Obviously, there's a great overlap mm-hmm. between this and what you're doing. But if somebody uh, is interested in counseling, uh, what do you specialize in and how can they get a hold of you? Oh, sure. Oh, thanks, Dave. Um, so I do individual and marriage counseling. So for individuals, I see a lot of people that have issues with boundaries, codependence, anxiety and depression. So scrupulosity. Uh, and then with uh, couples, I follow the Gottman 
method. I'm trained level one, about to finish my level two certification. And uh, it's a wonderful program that is research-based, and it helps couples to reconnect and to build healthier marriages. Mm -hmm. And I was going to ask you, you know, generally speaking, from your experience in dealing with a lot of couples, uh, what one bit of advice would you give uh, to couples who might be listening right now whose marriages are struggling? And I, I was thinking it might tie into the book because it's just communication. That's what I always hear. Talk, 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 and talk about things. But what would you say to that, that question? Intentionally focus on your spouse. Mm-hmm. Because I know a lot of people who are devout Catholics, and they got that going on. And then they're all about their children, but they don't put time aside for their spouse. So they don't schedule date nights. And yeah. in the introduction, um, you know, I base this off of, of a couple I worked with once where when I said, like, when's the last time you went on a date night? They literally could not remember. Yeah. Because yeah. they don't engage. Yeah. And yeah. I just, it was heartbreaking to see the disengagement. And that's what's so cool about this is because now, and the day nights are great. Obviously, you can't do it every single night, yeah. and there's money, and there's, you know, maybe getting babysitters and, you know, a lot of things involved and all that. But this is a 10 minute, you know, mm-hmm. commitment, and you can be lying in your bed in your PJs or, you know, there's exactly. really all it is is just say, hey, let's ask a few questions. Let's get the conversation started. So I think it's genius. I think it's, oh, it's wonderful, you. and I hope you sell a million copies. Me too. Me too. Each. (laughs) Yes, thank you. Each. (laughs) Two million. (laughs) That's right. All right. uh, Final question. How do people get a copy? Come August 18th or can they pre-order? So August 18th, that's when they'll go live on Amazon. If people go to my website, uh, www.christiancounseling.com or www.dananygar.com, there will be links at that point, but it will go live on August 18th. And then we're going to have a book launch party. So we'd love for you and Paula to come uh, at our home in September. Oh, wow. Very nice. And uh, Dana Nygaard is D-A-N-A-N-Y-G-A-A-R-D, yes, right? Yes. Uh, because 1A just wasn't enough. 1A was not enough, you which would be it. more complicated. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Uh, thanks so much. Great to see you. And again, uh, the title of the book is... Uh, 365 dates to renew your Christian marriage, increasing your emotional intimacy one question at a time. Uh, get the Catholic edition if you're Catholic. There's also a, a non-Catholic Christian edition as well. Dana nygaard.com d-a-n-a-n-y-g-a-a-r-d.com also you can find it on Amazon and hopefully some of the Catholic bookstores will pick it up as well Have I'm hoping them yet? I haven't even approached anyone yet yeah in fact I'm arranging uh, a um, a tour of the Catholic bookstores to do some live uh, broadcasts and I'd love for you to maybe at Sacred Heart Books oh I'd love that uh, to, for for um, interview you live on the radio. Oh. So we'll, we'll talk about that. <laughs> Another conversation. Thanks, Dave. Thanks also to uh, David the Greater, uh, who is uh, here in studio with us as well for taking some pictures and supporting Dana so well. Uh, her husband and to Diane Xavier, uh, thank you for your help as well. And if you have any suggestions for future interviews of the week, please contact me directly, Dave Palmer at Online. Dot com. One last time, the name of the book is 365 Dates to Renew Your Christian Marriage, Increasing Your Emotional Intimacy, One Question at a Time. This has been the interview of the week here on KTH 9, 10 a.m. God bless you. Have a great rest of your day. Are you keeping a secret no one knows about? Are you worried your friends would reject you if they knew? We at Healing After Abortion understand the pain suffered by those who have experienced an abortion. Whether you thought it was your only option or felt pressured to make the decision, there is hope and healing available. Come join us August 13th through 15th 
for a Rachel's Vineyard retreat. Call us confidentially at 214-544-CARE or visit us at racheldallas.org. Have you heard of My Mutual Mortgage in Grapevine? They're longtime sponsors and supporters of KTH 910 AM and are owned by Bob and Norma Duane, active members of Good Shepherd Catholic Parish in Colleyville. My Mutual Mortgage is a sponsor of our August 5th Summer Speaker Series event with guest speaker Father John Ricardo. To learn more about My Mutual Mortgage of Grapevine, visit grapevinetexas.mymutual.com and to get your tickets to see Father Ricardo, visit summerspeakerseries.com. Good afternoon, everybody. Welcome to this edition of the KTH 910 AM Interview of the Week here on KTH 910 AM, Guadalupe Radio Network. I'm Dave Palmer, the host of this program. Diane is running the board, and uh, I am thankful to talk about a uh, necessary and interesting and uh, somewhat you know grave but important topic uh, that has to do with healthcare advocacy and patient advocacy with my guest, Julie Grimstad, who serves as board president of the, uh, an organization called HALO, stands for Healthcare Advocacy and Leadership Organization. You might remember, uh, months ago, I don't remember exactly how months, many months ago, I spoke to Dr. Joseph Ebley, who, uh, she is, um, very familiar with and they work together. And so it's, uh, good to talk about these topics. So, Julie Grimstad, thank you for being on the program with me today. Well, thank you for having me. I really appreciate this opportunity to talk about HALO, um, which I, of course, believe is a very important organization. Um, I would like to say, first of all, that there are numerous topics, of course, that we could talk about that, that are about healthcare and the problems in healthcare. But today, it's important to address life-affirming patient advocacy. And I'm not talking about patient advocates who work for hospitals or other um, healthcare entities. I am talking about generally volunteers, a relative, a friend, a volunteer, or even a healthcare provider who strives to safeguard the welfare of a patient in a healthcare situation. And so what I'm going to talk about today is to help people learn to be an advocate for their loved ones and for people they know. And are we talking primarily, Julie, about end of life or is this, you know, at all stages of somebody being in a, in the hospitalization process? Are we talking kind of the end here? No, we are not talking the end. Usually when we get involved, it's somebody who is actually, being um, mistreated, abused, or um, or is we're not talking only about end of life. Okay. Sometimes these are cases where people are near the end of life, but sometimes it's because the healthcare providers have decided that the patient himself or herself is useless. Um, medical ethics have changed. Okay. From a sanctity of life point of view, that's a Christian point of view, that all human life is sacred because every human being is made in the image and likeness of God. It has morphed over many years to be more about utilitarianism, Mm -hmm. that if you're not useful, then it's not worth spending the money 
or the effort or the resources to care for you. And this is sort of a cost-benefit analysis instead of a, a humane analysis of what a person needs. And so we're not just talking, we're talking about disabled people, we're talking about children who are born with disabilities or um, even with life-threatening anomalies. We uh, cover the span of people. And any time a vulnerable person is in a healthcare situation, they can be in danger mm. and someone should be with them. Can you tell us uh, a little bit about the history of HALO, Healthcare Advocacy and Leadership Organization? How long has it been around? Maybe the initial inspiration uh, for it to be started and also a, a little bit about your own background and how uh, you became involved with HALO. Well, HALO started in 2018. <clears throat> Excuse me. Um, at, we were a group of people who had already been involved in patient advocacy and in teaching people about various healthcare issues that threatened their lives or their welfare. And so we got together and we started HALO. Um, our motivation was that healthcare ethics, medical ethics, have vastly changed from what they used to be. Um, I'll tell you about how I got started because every person who is a member of HALO does have a story to tell. So I graduated from nursing school in 1969. And back then, as far as I knew, there was universal respect for the sanctity and equality of human life. Patients could refuse burdensome treatment, of course, and we respected their wishes. But one thing we didn't do was deliberately cause a patient's death. Yes. Now we are seeing what we call stealth euthanasia, which is generally disguised as end-of-life care or comfort care. Um, but it's an a appallingly frequent cause of death. The hallmark of stealth euthanasia is the withholding of food and fluids. Yeah. And overdosing with powerful drugs to cause death. We see this most often in palliative care and hospice settings. So your question about do we mainly deal with end of life, I would say that we deal with ending of lives. Mm, yeah. We try to prevent the ending of lives prematurely. So I hope that answers your question. But in the summer of 1985, a friend called me and said, Julie, what do you know about living wills? Of course, living wills were the first advanced healthcare directives. And I didn't know anything at that time. But she explained to me that it was actually the Euthanasia Education Council that um, introduced living wills as a foot in the door to legalize euthanasia and assisted suicide. In Montana, where I was living at the time, had just enacted a living will law that was the first one, the first law in any state that allowed food and water to be taken away from patients mm. in order to facilitate their death. So <clears throat> also that year, I was kind of blindsided by my first opportunity to be a patient advocate. And I think this is the way most people will find themselves in that role and so they should be prepared for it. 
which is what we do. We educate people on how to be a patient advocate so that when they need this information, they have it. Um, my neighbor, Jane, ended up with a, um, in the hospital because of a kidney infection, and they put her on a, a antipsychotic drug called Haldol because she was a bit agitated. She was 92 years old, and she'd never been hospitalized before. So rather than deal with her anxieties uh, with a counselor or asking someone to spend the night with her, they gave her Haldol, which is a drug that can cause some elderly people to lose their ability to swallow. Mm. And she did. I didn't know what was wrong at first, so I went got a list of her drugs. I had her daughter help me. We got a list of the drugs that she was on took him to a pharmacist and said, what could be causing this? And he told us it was probably the Haldol. So we went to her doctor and we asked him to take her off of it. And what he said was, if you don't trust me, find another doctor. Well, at that time, you know, there weren't hospitalists. And so we very easily found another doctor who was willing to treat her. And in a while she was able to swallow again. And um, we took her home. So, you know, it was the second doctor who was really a good advocate for the patient. The first doctor is the kind that we tell people to watch out for. Mm, yeah. It, you know, when you talk about kind of the principles of HALO and the dignity of the human person and uh, fighting against utilitarianism, it sounds very Catholic. It sounds like Catholic social teaching, but HALO is not... Um, specifically Catholic, uh, do you have any kind of religious affiliation or, or uh, can you explain that? Well, we call ourselves a Christian organization, but I will tell you that there is everything that HALO does is compatible with Catholic teaching. Um, I have to tell you that most of the information that we put out there is really based on Catholic teaching about healthcare issues because the Catholic church is the only one that has this sort of um, thorough and um, correct teaching on the sanctity of human life. I had an incident one time when I was speaking to a Lutherans for Life group and I had just gotten done and the leader asked me, where do you get your information? This is so um, good and so insightful. And I confessed to her that I plagiarized the Catholic Church. <laughs> well, that's uh, that, that, that's good to know. It's, it sounds like you're getting some good information. Julie Grimstad is my guest, board president of Healthcare Advocacy and Leadership Organization. Uh, the, it's uh, HALO uh, for short, Healthcare Advocacy and Leadership Organization. You can find them online at halovoice.org. Uh, Julie, you sent um, an attachment over to me via email called Life Affirming Principles for Medical Decision Making. And the first line says, no matter what life-sustaining procedure or medical treatment is in question, when in doubt, err on the side of life. Now, that sounds so, you know, basic and simple and seems like any second grader should understand that. But from a practical standpoint, uh, what does that mean to err on the side of life and how does that play into your work with HALO? Well, it simply means that if uh, a medical procedure or treatment might benefit the patient, we can try it. If it doesn't succeed, stop it. Um, use your common sense. It, this isn't rocket science. 
It is simply we respect the sanctity of every human life. And no matter what the person's uh, mental condition is or age or um, usefulness to society, that they need to be respected. We need to look at every person through God's eyes. How does he see this person? That's how we should see this person. This person is a child of God. He loves this person. And we must love this person and care for this person as Jesus would have us do. You know, the Good Samaritan didn't ask any questions when he picked up the man on the side of the road. He didn't ask if he was going to have brain damage. He didn't ask if he was um, worth saving. He didn't ask any of the questions that we hear um, doctors asking today. And I think that, at least for us, we fight for every life. Not not that a patient himself can't refuse treatment if he finds it overly burdensome, or the family can request a stopping of treatment if they believe that their loved one would not want this or would see this as overly burdensome. What we are doing is we're trying to help the patient make, and the family and the decision makers for the patient, make moral decisions, decisions that respect life. And sometimes that means refusing treatment, that you respect the person's right to make their own informed decisions. Yes. Julie, you you recently wrote an article called, Are Are Organ Donors Truly Dead Before Their Organs Are Taken? And I think most people who have no expertise in this would say, well, of course. I mean, gosh, that's, you know, the person dies, they take the organs and and helps another person, you know, who's still alive. It's it's not quite that cut and dry. There's some uh, intricacies and even some little controversy with organ donation. Can you explain why you wrote this article and what the crux of it is? Well, the crux of it is that we want to warn people that people who have been declared brain dead are not truly dead. It's a, brain death is a, is a fallacy. It was constructed in order to retrieve organs from people in their freshest state. But the fact is, and if people want to order this fact sheet, or you called it an article, but we call it a fact sheet, is that only living persons have healthy organs. So all vital organs, heart, lung, liver, kidney, pancreas, intestines, they have to be healthy for transplantation. But once circulation and respiration cease, the organs immediately begin to deteriorate. Now that doesn't mean that people cannot still be organ donors. They can... um, donate, I don't mean organ donors, tissue donors. After true death, tissues such as skin, bones, corneas, veins, heart valves, and connective tissues can be taken for transplant because they can be taken after a person has truly died, after Mm. respiration and circulation have irreversibly ceased. However, vital organs except for those that are donated by a healthy living person who um, has a paired kidney or lung that they want to donate for the welfare of another. That's another circumstance. In those circumstances, it's a charitable act 
because the person is alive and able to make that donation um, of a part that's not going to kill them to give it up. And nevertheless, there are physical and psychological risks to the donor, and these should be fully explained and considered before consent of a healthy person to be an organ donor. Um, is it still the case where, like on the back of your license, you can say, I want to be an organ donor, or you have to give consent for that? But it, it sounds, if I'm if I'm reading what you're saying, that you don't necessarily advise people to do that because it likely they would be taken out before the person is truly dead. Is, is that accurate? Um, it's accurate that it's not just likely. It's true that organ donation organs are taken from people who are not truly dead. Okay. And so we just advise people to protect themselves. Sign in, I refuse to be an organ donor card and carry it in your wallet. Um, don't be an organ donor on your driver's license and don't sign an organ donor card. <clears throat> and I say this not because I, I don't think people should be donors, but because I believe that people are not truly dead. And let me um, cite a case. Zach Dunlap was a young man, 21 years old, who was severely brain damaged in an, in an accident. They declared him brain dead. And um, a relative, just before he was to be taken in to have his organs removed, a relative scraped his foot with a pocket knife and he jerked it away. Just a few months later, Zach was walking and talking, and he recalled that a doctor said he was dead, and he was mad inside when he heard that, but he couldn't move. Think of how frightening that is. Yeah. And then proponents of brain death claim that Zach's case was a failure to follow the American Academy of Neurology guidelines for determination of brain death. But even if one believes that brain death is death, this explanation doesn't instill much confidence in the reliability of brain death determinations. Yeah, and that sounds like, uh, um, you know, some people would say, oh, gosh, you know, the, the, the organs do so much good and they help preserve other people's lives. Is this uh, a controversial take? Uh, is the medical community coming around to what you and some of your doctor friends are, are proposing, or is this still a outlier opinion in the medical uh, you know, field? Oh, no. This is a very much not a settled issue. There are many, many doctors who are coming around to the idea that brain death is not death. When you have to give, and this is what they do, when they are um, doing operations for organ harvesting, they give the um, donor anesthesia and paralyzing drugs so that they won't move or squirm or have stress responses such as increases in blood pressure and pulse rate. And so if you have to give a person, a supposedly dead person, allegedly dead, anesthesia and paralytics, how dead are they? Yeah, <laughs> that certainly raises a good question. Julie Grimstad's my guest, board president, healthcare advocacy and leadership organization, uh, HALO for short, H-A-L-O. You can find them online at halovoice.org. Julie, how I'm, I'm trying to get a, a sense of how listeners 
um, utilize your uh, organization if somebody is in a in an advocacy situation where they're taking care of somebody or they they feel maybe like their medical professional is not treating them ethically is that when they come to you or how can our listeners benefit from halo well that's one way they can we have a hotline or a helpline we call it the number is 888-221-4256 the last four numbers are halo h-a-l-o so it's 888-221-4256. They can call that number. We have the helpline there. We also have a prayer line because a crucial um, part of HALO's mission is intercessory prayer. Mm. We will pray with people who are in difficult situations or simply need someone to pray with them. We have our helpline where patient advocates man the helpline 24-7, and we'll answer questions. We will try to get answers for them from professionals if we don't have the answer. Um, We do have access to attorneys and some physicians who will help us in these areas and nurses. So this is, we, we don't dispense medical advice, but we will help people make decisions for their loved one. And this is extremely important. We have a lot of educational material on our website, again, uh, halovoice.org. And anytime that you call us, we will try to help you with all kinds of issues. What kind of advanced directive do I need? Um, How do I help my loved one who is in a nursing home? and I believe is being mistreated. Um, And another thing that we try to do is to instill hope. Unlike healthcare resources whose allocation is often justly or unjustly determined by calculations of cost and quality of life, hope is a vital resource that has no limit, no cost, and is always beneficial. We have seen... Miracles happen because of the hopes that people have and the prayers that we offer for them. So there's always hope. There's hope for a cure. There's hope that there are still things to achieve and enjoy in life. There's hope for moments of joy with family and friends. There's hope for mending broken relationships. There's hope for spiritual growth. There's hope for tender loving care in control of pain and suffering, and there's hope for a peaceful death, and there's hope for eternal life. Amen. Julie, um, how are you funded? Are your services free to the individual, or is, is it fee-based? Uh, are you a 501c3 and take donations? Uh, speak on that, if you would. We are a 501c3 organ- yeah, I'm not. Okay. <laughs> We're totally taxed. Tax-exempt yeah. and tax-deductible right? Um, to the extent of the law. But we do not charge anything for our services. We totally depend upon donations. And that's, that's a really been a tough thing through this pandemic. In fact, we've had to downsize a bit. But um, we are still offering our services, and we appreciate any donation, all they have to do is go to our 
website. We have a very easy way to donate on the website or there's information on how to send a check. And I'll tell you, we pray for every one of our donors and I know that God blesses them. We've heard from them. Yeah, well, you're doing important work and uh, I appreciate what you're doing. This is uh, a learning curve for me, but you explained it so well and the issues that you're on top of, I think, are, are so obviously life and death situations. And so it's very important. Uh, Julie Grimstad has been my guest, board president, healthcare advocacy and leadership organization, otherwise known as Halo, H-A-L-O, uh, and their website, halovoice.org. The phone number she gave uh, was one eight 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 two two one. H-A-L-O. I, I, I didn't write down the numbers, but it uh, spells out HALO, 888-221-HALO. And got about 45 seconds, Julie. Anything else you want to tell our listeners before we let you go? Well, yes, I would like to say to them that they should be prepared to be an advocate for their loved ones because everyone is going to experience a situation sometime in their life where they do need to advocate for someone, where they need to protect a loved one in a healthcare situation. And if they need help, please call us because we have all kinds of resources. And we would like to offer them a copy of our Making a Difference, a guide for defending the medically vulnerable. It's just a Thanks for listening to KATH 910 AM, Frisco, Dallas, Fort Worth, and North Texas. Catholic Radio for your soul on the Guadalupe Radio Network. Heard also at grnonline.com and on your smartphone. 